Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by our lecturer in theology, Dr. Richard Buzzichelli. And before we get started today, I want to invite all our listeners, please help us out. Hit that notification bell, click that subscribe button, and help us build the community outside of our formal CSA classes. If you are interested in taking classes um, in a very relaxed way, in a way that you can go at your own pace, check out all of our courses over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. I forget how many we have now. I think we have at least, I don't know, six or eight in theology and at least six or eight or so in uh, philosophy. And we keep adding to those um, every every few months. So please check out all of our content over there for classes and other content. Um, in today's episode, what we want to talk about is something that's uh, that's quite popular right now. It's going around in the different Catholic circles. And that was, it's the topic of uh, Steve Skojek's article on, um, on his kind of whole experience with uh, in, in the church and um, how he's kind of dealt with it. And it's called uh, Against a Crippled Religion, right? Um, and so he, he goes through his own personal experience in the church. And so uh, it, it caused quite a stir within a lot of Catholic circles. Uh, and you have people like Rodrier and others that have uh, commented on it. And so um, it, it brings up a lot, uh, Dr. Buzzichelli, in his article about, and, and I think, I think what we can say, you know, to, to get us started here, I think what you can say is while, while his experience is his, um, the things he has experienced are not necessarily unique to him. Um, and so maybe you can dive into a little bit of that. And maybe what are some key takeaways that, that you see? Um, and then we'll, we'll get into some theological issues with that. Sure. I, I think, so I think um, one thing you find in Skojek's piece, right, is that he recounts a sort of life of uh, sub, subjection to abuse at the hands of authorities within the church. Sure. Um, now he doesn't, I want to be clear on this. He doesn't say that he was ever abused sexually. Um, yeah. So when I, whenever you say abuse, that's what people leap to. That's not what he's oh, sure. saying. Sure. That's not what he's saying. And what I find actually intriguing about this uh, is, is that if it were just another um, story about about that kind of abuse from a member of the clergy, mm-hmm. you know, people might say, well, well, you know, there's another one. Um, yeah. It's just as bad as we thought. Right. Yeah. We're not surprised by it, sadly. Right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it's beyond shocking anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think what's interesting here is that it raises the issue, right. That there's more than one kind of abuse. Mm-hmm. And in in an environment where one kind occurs, one shouldn't be surprised to find others. Sure. So um, it you, you then have to ask the question, right? Um, well, how many people are being abused in very real ways, in ways that are meaningful, that exact uh, significant psychological and spiritual trauma on them mm-hmm. over the course of their lives? by the same kinds of people uh, who were responsible for these other forms of abuse that have been in the news for now a couple of decades. Sure. Uh, and Skojic apparently is one of those people, right? Um, 
I, I want to be, I think that if we're going to read his article and, um, and give it its fair hearing, we've got to recognize that, you know, the, that whole thing about, about sort of taking people seriously when they bring these kinds of complaints. Yeah. Um, he deserves it as much as anybody else does. Right. So, so what is he saying is the pattern exactly, right? He's describing himself as having been subjected to manipulation, mm-hmm. um, serious guilt tripping, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the uh, term and, and that he... sounds like, well, guilt tripping, grow up. But you've got yeah. to realize, right, that this is kind of guilt trip that can be attached to somebody under the authority of divine judgment. Uh, uh, under, right? I mean, like this is your salvation, is that yeah, state, yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, You're he even calls it God spiritual abuse. God. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's serious stuff. Okay. Um, and it and it's all predicated upon the fact that he really does believe. Right. So basically, what you've got is a situation in which the more firmly a person believes, the more uh the the, the better able, right? Such a kind of abuser mm-hmm. uh, it, it is to be able to manipulate such a person, right? In other words, you're more subject to that kind of abuse precisely because you believe so firmly, precisely because you're loyal to the church. There's a there's an irony in that, right? That that I think is pretty obvious. Yeah, and one of the things that I think makes. Um, the timing of his article very interesting is you know we're 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 in a moment where you know parishes are are you know live streaming masses they're they're not allowing certain uh you know reception on the tongue you have bishops talking out against that you have the whole biden issue nancy pelosi issue um so you really have a time where at least i see online where a lot of people are saying let's let's go let's find a traditional parish let's find um an fssp or tlm community that we can go belong to and kind of all will be well mm-hmm. and then skojek kind of drops this grenade within um kind of people's kind of utopian ideas of yeah. of their of their their traditional island that they can go to and be safe we can i can believe everything that the church teaches and i can you know, receive kneeling on the yeah, tongue. As long as I'm in this be, little circle, I can be left alone to be Catholic. Yeah, and he, he really he really throws a grenade though in there and says, "Yeah, however, I get that." I, I, I get the sentiment, and yeah. when you look at when you look at the fact that he, you know, that he does throw that grenade, you know, you could see that um, it it cost that costs him something, right? Because that those are his peeps, right? Yeah. Yeah, and a lot and, of people um, didn't like that. Yeah. And and he's guaranteed made a lot of enemies. And I think he says so mm-hmm. in some of his other uh writing, right? A lot of people have cut him loose. Oh yeah. Out of that. Um, but I, I don't think he's there to slam the EF community. No. Uh I think he's just being honest about what he sees. And the thing is, what he sees is what a lot of people see. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've known some pretty good priests who have been like, I, I knew this dude, I don't know him very well, but I I, I, I I, spoke at his parish one time. 
this priest in, in Illinois who um, one time he said, you know, every now and then, just for the sake of my own sanity, I'll celebrate uh, the extraordinary form. Um, but I, I don't let it get out because, um, because, you know, when, when word starts to get out about that, weird things start to happen. <laughs> and, and what he was talking about was attracting a certain kind of um, person that, that Skojic in his, in his piece describes a sort of ideological, right? Yeah, and that's um, what he refers to as crippled religion. Is this when he's talking this, about cri crippled religion? Yeah, yeah. When you start predicating your Catholicism on all different sorts of issues, right? So you have, oh, well, we're, I'm, you know, I'm a traditionalist. I'm a uh, a Novus Ordo guy. I'm a Vatican II Catholic. I'm a social justice guy. Like you start predicating your Catholicism with all these, you know, ideas and ideological platforms yeah. like you start to get into all sorts of of problems and you know like the the image i always like to use is you know there's a ditch on both sides of the road yeah right right so i i've, I've I'm, I'm working on this uh thing right now where i'm i'm talking about um i i use this phrase barred from c.s lewis right i i'll, I'll call it uh, mere catholic yeah. Um, <laughs> That's good. you're a mere Catholic. This is, this is what I think a Catholic just needs to be. I, I know someone who works at a very, uh, well-known, um, Catholic university, uh, sort of known for its, for being sort of on the, on the right team, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and one time she said to me that, um, uh, one thing she doesn't like is the pressure to sort of, uh, compete as a Catholic, right? it's like a, a competition for who's the most Catholic person in the room. Yeah. And she said, I, I just want to be Catholic. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's what I'm talking about. Right. So I'm, I'm talking about the person who, you know, the person who actually believes what the church teaches, who receives mm -hmm. the constant teaching and tradition of the church regarding faith and morals mm -hmm. and makes life decisions on the basis of those of those teachings, even when, um, even when it's personally costly to do so. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I, that's what I think a mere Catholic is, right? This is someone who, um, someone who wants a life framed by sacraments reverently celebrated, uh, and, and wants to hear the gospel preached, wants to be convicted by it, uh, wants to be made more holy day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but isn't interested really in classifying himself according to any sort of specific subcategory. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is a, this is not a homogeneous group of people I'm describing. They're, it, they're not, they're not all trads. They're some trads aren't mere Catholics. Right. Um, right. I mean, so this is, there's these people have disagreements on theological issues the way i mm -hmm. would say the way i think of it right these are people who have actually have disagreements on some significant theological questions sure but within the pale of orthodoxy right within the bounds of what the church actually does bind us to believe um does that make sense to you yeah yeah i th i think i you know i think I, or at least i try to find myself uh uh and that, you know, where it's easy to get caught up and, you know, especially now with the internet and everything, church politics and what this bishop says and that bishop and, you know, 
I'm in this diocese, but I really like to follow this bishop. And like, like it's just, it's kind of a, a weird place historically. Um, and it's also, and, and it, I, you know, I just think it's not always the, the, the most spiritually, or it's just not spiritually healthy. It's not to, spiritually healthy at all. To, to get into the political nature or even just, you know, these things. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't care about things like reverent liturgy and uh, liturgical abuses, bad theology, um, um, uh, heterodoxy, things like that. Um, but at the same, yeah, but at the same time, when we, when, when you really start to kind of draw divisions within your Catholicism or, or within your, um, uh, the, the, within the church that way, even, and this is what, so one of the interesting parts, um, Rod Dreer brings this up about how um, he was because he was a, he was a reporter during the whole sex abuse crisis in mm -hmm. uh, the early 2000s. And he found himself in, you know, in Boston and in the middle of that. And he he kind of had this. Um, he, he had this crisis of faith where, you know, he, he the way he puts it is 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 my salvation really dependent on me being in communion with these people yeah you know um yeah that's a, that's a really hard place to be when you see the 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 ugly side of all of these things um you know i get i get that i get that but at the same time you know should that be should that be our our, our judge of of catholicism is its worst mm -hmm. cases you know well yeah so here's the thing right this is very difficult because on the one hand there really are abuses there are sure there, there are bad things going on right and there are things that there um we should care about reverently celebrated liturgy right we should yeah. care about about um deviations from sound doctrine mm -hmm. um what i think can happen is we become entrenched in very particular theological perspectives right so that if you're not a Thomist you're a heretic yeah. uh, that kind of thing right um, or um, or you know if um, somehow uh, acceptance of the Second Vatican Council recognition of the Second Vatican Council is an actual ecclesiological event um, somehow uh, somehow means you know that you have to, that you have to buy into all of the post-Vatican II right. interpretations and abuses and distortions. Or on the other hand, it means that somehow you yourself have gone off the rails. Um, I, I just, you know, this kind of factionalism, uh, that's not mere Catholicism on either side. Right. I think that Skojek is kind of, you know, at the point where he's, he's kind of seen that um yeah. and maybe it's one of those things I, I can't speak for him you know i'm just reading his stuff but um but i i kind of get the impression where it, maybe he he's experiencing one of these things where something he's always sort of known and thought is just is just kind of being brought to the forefront of his mind and being being sort of clarified uh, in a new way. I have the experience a fair amount and I, I, I could imagine, sure. you know, that that's what he's experiencing too. Yeah. And I think, I think for the, you know, for the, for the, the mere Catholic, you know, right now, like I said, 
the interesting place they find themselves is they're they're looking for uh this place of rest right uh-huh. where they can where they can you know um be authentically catholic without being persecuted which which again you know that that idea i think is is becoming more and more evident that you know to be a faithful catholic um is to be persecuted right um yeah and not, all, not by the church itself right? yeah <laughs> that, that's where the difficult part comes in where you have you know um uh you know sometimes you know the 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 attacks are coming from with from those with within the church right um, that's a very difficult place uh, to be in, you know, that I, that can lead because you, you know, on the on the one hand, you have this um, fidelity, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you have this obedience, right? But that obedience opens you up to being subjected to abuse. Th- that's right. This is one of the real paradoxes, right? Uh, yeah. We were and especially for the especially for the faithful Catholic, right? Yeah, that's right. Because the, so the, the liberal the, Catholic will just walk away. Yeah, or just say, "Well, I don't believe in that. I, I'm just going to just sit in that and do whatever the I'll hell do I whatever want. I want. Just yeah. shut up. I don't care what yeah. you say." Whereas yeah. the uh, the faithful Catholic cares, right? Yeah. He cares to be in communion with these people. He cares to be seen as in good standing. He he doesn't he he doesn't. If someone denies him the sacraments, he feels as if you know he can't actually go and receive them. He can't just go and sure. take them for himself. Whereas a, a less faithful person, right, a person who doesn't really believe with the church, will be denied the sacraments and go ahead and take it anyway. I mean, this yeah. is precisely kind of in my in my view, actually, this is largely what's at issue with the hesitancy when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, denying communion under Canon Nine Fifteen to certain rather um, famous politicians, right? Sure, uh, on the grounds that they that they habitually support uh, objective grave evils and mm-hmm. campaign against the good of the church, the natural moral law and the divine law, right? That they do this habitually and they use their offices to do it. Now yeah. the question is, well, why are they not denied communion under Canon 915? Does that canon not apply? Yeah. Uh, in As far as I can tell, right? Um, I mean, I'm, per- let me say, uh, I'm a hundred percent persuaded by uh, Cardinal Burke's argument in his 2007 article that he wrote on this. I, I don't remember the name of the article, but it sure in the canon law journal, you know, he, he, I think it was back in 2007, he wrote an article hundred percent persuasive to me that um, canon nine fifteen absolutely does apply in these cases. And these people mm-hmm. should be denied communion. Why aren't they? Well, I, I think one of the reasons might be that everyone knows that um, that they they might they might very well thumb their noses at at the um, at the decision, right? They'll just yeah. go someplace where someone is willing to give it to them. Yeah, um, and uh, and and that will create even more scandal. Now, I think that that's a bargain we should be ready to make mm-hmm. i think there's more at stake in letting them um in letting them set the rules of the game yeah right then in then in having that having that fight but i but i think i think that's what maybe what people are thinking sure sure so you have yeah so and, and but the faithful catholic you know they 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 want to be in communion and belief and yeah and so if somebody sacraments. denies him commu- if somebody denies him communion for something he's yeah. like 
to, to him, that's like a problem he needs to solve. He needs to. Well, and it's his problem. Yeah. It's, you know, if it happens to me, it, I must have done something wrong because that's I'm not premise. a priest. Yeah. And I've got to make it, I've got to make it right somehow. Yeah. Um, and so this is what leads to sort of this battered wife syndrome, right? Sure. Where, where, um, you know, no matter how much you get abused, you just keep coming back. Right. And you never, you, you just never, you never walk away. Right. You ever, this is one of those things people say about battered women. Right? Why don't they, why doesn't she just leave them? Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's a whole mentality, right? It's a two-sided, it's a two-sided street. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I think that's, I think it's analogous to what faithful Catholics experience in the face of such mistreatment at the hands of clerics. Right. Well, and, and especially within the faithful, there's the, there's the very strong belief and usually a strong understanding of the redemptive value of suffering. Um, so, so when the, when the faithful Catholic is suffering, there's almost a way in which you're saying I must be doing something right. Or like, like, this is good for me. This is where I should be. It's good for me to be in this position right now. God wouldn't have allowed it had it not been for my, for my salvation. Yeah, but and in I'll reality, it it's abuse. Yeah, in and reality. It up. Um, and I think I, I'm not mocking this attitude. Don't get me wrong. No, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. right. Uh, I'm just saying it's part of the it's part of the paradox, uh, and um, and it doesn't at all excuse the mistreatment. Right. But but I I do understand the mentality, and and what happens is, you know, in the case of somebody like Skojek, and before him, uh, Dreer. Right. You you might actually get to the point where she she starts to think about leaving, you know, where where maybe maybe the scales begin to come off and she begins to see abuse for abuse. And it's not really her fault. It's not Mm -hmm. if she were just a better wife. It's not right. It's it's you. Uh, And um, and maybe. That I think is it, it could happen, but it takes an awful lot to drive someone to that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and especially when you know we're not just talking about a relationship here; we're talking about salvation. Yeah, right, um, right. And again, Dreer's point: I got to the point where I no longer believed that my salvation depended upon my being in communion with these people. Yeah. Now yeah. I don't know. Skojic hasn't said he's at that point. Yeah, no, he hasn't. He said he's not leaving the church. It's not he's not he's not at that point or anything. Um, Not like Dreer, but, you know, Dreer says, you know, you kind of, you know, that they kind of belong to this. uh, um, Oh, gosh, how did how did he word it? It was like the uh, um, the the solidarity of the shattered. Right. So this kind Uh of this uh, um, this these people in the church who who had right belief. Um, but were were victim to or experienced just you know the these are one kind of um, version of clericalism, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, and that stands really at the heart of a lot of these 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 issues as well. Is you know when we talk about clericalism, it's not just one. There's not just one form of clericalism, right? It comes in yeah. in many forms. Liberal, you know, if you want to put political terms to it, just for ease conversation you know uh, liberal or conservative or anything like that like 
there's clericalism all around and there's you know and the the, the things that affect the church or things that affect the world affect the church right so yeah we have arrogant narcissistic abusive people outside the church uh and mm-hmm. it seems that they're at growing at an alarming rate um whether you're talking about people in uh, positions of, you know, even just the whole, you know, me too movement, as much as the, there's, mm-hmm. ish, there's problems with that. It did shine a light on, you know, that there is a, a lot of abuse out there and abusive people out there. So that th- th- those things, they sadly, they happen within the church. Um, so I think it's important for us to, to, you know, for the, for the mere Catholic out there to, to not simply say, well, you know, if I just find this this safe haven, uh, you know, of, of good liturgy, right belief, all these things, I will be free from all that troubles the world. No, that's not true. Is it possible? Sure. There's great and holy priests out there who are reverent and all those things we want them to be in the communities, all the things we want them to be. But no community is going to be perfect. You know, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that we that we we put up with any sort of uh, clericalism by yeah. just kind of falling under the 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 right the guise of obedience so well, let, me, let, me, obe- let me draw attention to um something within the church within the yeah. teaching of the church that that really helps right sure so on the one hand um you haven't been paying attention if you have been catholic your whole life and you haven't yet figured out that people sin even in the church <laughs> Right. You haven't been paying attention because because before you received first communion, you you uh, went to confession. Mm-hmm. Right. And you might have asked yourself why you did that or why we even have this sacrament. Well, we have this sacrament because the church in her infinite wisdom and mercy actually doesn't expect people to walk the entire road uh, from from the time they enter the church to the time they stand in judgment before God mm-hmm. without stumbling along the way a few times. Sure. Uh, and um, we want people to live lives without sin, but we know that people are weak and that they do sin, right? That sinners uh, need to be treated in the mm-hmm. church. Uh, they need to be healed. They need to be restored to grace. So we have a sacrament for that. Um, on the other hand, right, that sacrament presupposes on the part of the penitent, a firm purpose of amendment. Yeah. And this is the thing I think that's really at issue here. It's not just that we're talking about isolated instances of bad behavior on the part of certain people in positions of authority in the church, any more than it would be an issue that we're talking about bad behavior on the part of anyone in any position, anywhere in the church, right? Um, it's it's that what you see is habitual, systemic kind of behavior, mm-hmm. right? That's really what's at issue, and um, and this is what this is what really uh, the term clericalism means. I, I used mm-hmm. to wonder about this term. Uh, I, I, I don't use it very often. Maybe I'll start using it more now because I've been thinking about it more. Yeah. But, but you know, usually when I heard the term clericalism before, you know, I would hear this term that was just like, um, 
oh, this is the left again, saying that um, traditions in the church are bad. Yeah. And that we shouldn't regard that we shouldn't regard the ordained ministry as anything uh, particularly special. We're all special. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and like, and I'm going to be like, no, we, we should regard the ordained ministry as something special because um, it's conferred by a sacrament. And we hold that that sacrament um, provides charism and faculties to do things that other people can't. And an ontological change. It's and it's not an ontological a... change, right? Yeah. Um, so we should and must regard it as, as important. Right. And so I, I, I'm like, no, stop with the clericalism. But, but now I, th- I see the word clericalism differently. I think I finally understand what, what it really means. Do you, do you, do you have kind of a definition for us that we can I, I work do. with? Okay. Yeah. So here's the way. Uh, here's the way I would put it. Right. Um, an attitude, okay, I, I wrote it down, so I'll read it to you. An attitude both toward and of mm-hmm. the professed religious and the clergy, according to which the clerical and religious states are seen to constitute a kind of aristocracy in which the members of it bear no responsibility to the laity or to anyone in the hierarchy ranking lower than themselves. Mm. Clericalism is thus an institution-centric, top-down, managerial ecclesiology that serves the interests and values of those within the institutional structure of the church, not the laity. It makes the clergy immune from critique or repercussions for their actions from anyone they're in a position to injure, with the result that the, that the aristocrat Mm-hmm. only possesses authority, rights, and privileges, but bears no meaningful responsibility. Sure. While the laity, the peasants, bear only responsibility, but possess no meaningful authority, rights, or privileges, and enjoy only those avenues of redress that those against whom they might seek it will allow. Yeah. That's the way I would put it. Uh, and... Um, I think I think a great example of that is when they um, when they first initially drew up the uh, what was it called the Dallas Charter I think or something like that with oh, the, yeah. the U.S. bishops they 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 put in there you know here's all the people that you know are going to be um, held accountable for this issue and the original draft had you know clergy uh, deacons priests bishops blah 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 the bishops went back and they removed themselves from the charter in the in the, yeah. the original charter they removed uh, uh themselves as being responsible for their own clergy like that i, I think that's a great example yeah that uh, totally, illustrates, this attitude. totally yeah. illustrates the thing that we're talking about and now keep in mind right um pope francis talks about clericalism and lots of people think he's guilty of it, sure himself, right? But he do, but he talks about it. And Cardinal Marx talks about clericalism mm-hmm. and admits in his resignation letter that he's been guilty of it. Yeah, right. Um, and Cardinal Marx's resignation letter is is actually an interesting part of this saga, right? Right. Like it's 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 a totally independent event from Skojax 
I mean, they didn't consult each other or anything. <laughs> yeah, but I doubt it. <laughs> but but actually, they're kind of about the same problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marx, in a stunning, um, in my opinion, a, a stunning manifestation of humility. Um, not not complete not complete clarity, but but sure. I would say nonetheless a stunning manifestation of humility is willing to divest himself it seems maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm reading too much into it but it seems to me when i read his letter he's willing to divest himself of the advantages of clericalism and he's saying essentially i need to be held the buck stops here i was the bishop in charge yeah i i I need to pay the price i need to go yeah that's that's a as as much as I disagree with Marx theologically on a lot of things, that's that's pretty pretty spot on. I mean, that's like you said, that's a real act of humility from a person of high public, uh, high public figures of high public uh, note, right? Yeah. To, to do something like that, we didn't see that with any of the the American bishops that were in any of those things. No, not that I can recall. I don't, I don't, maybe I missed the story, but I don't yeah. recall anybody sort of like voluntarily just sort of deciding, you know, without a without a, uh, a firestorm in the media, right? Just deciding that he just needs to go. Um, yeah. And and the thing is, Marx actually says in his letter that he thinks other bishops should do the same. Yeah. Yeah, the only one I can think of is Bransfield in West Virginia. Like they were like, you need to resign. There's a bunch of things. And he's like, okay. But then he just like skipped town and the dude was, you know, had all sorts of money issues and things like that. Like yeah, he, he was but he was he was personally implicated in all that. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the same. It, yeah, so there wasn't really the uh the the we we didn't see any of that on the part of the of any American bishop. So to see it from you know Karl Marx, I'm sorry, not Karl Marx. Yeah, I well. to see that from from bishop, <laughs> uh, from cardinal, uh, cardinal Marx, uh, was quite astounding. Now, how do you how how do you uh, how do you see these these two kind of events coming together? Well, I think in both cases you've got a recognition of clericalism as an issue, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, Skojak doesn't really focus. Uh, to he doesn't really beat the drum of clericalism exactly, yeah. but what he's describing is pretty much that that problem, right? That there's a this privilege enjoyed by people in charge, and they just sort of like rake uh, the most faithful members of the of the laity over the coals, um, and. Um, and, you know, obviously it would be wrong to say that this happens uh, to the degree that it happened to Skojak mm-hmm. in every case or oh, right. you know, yeah. that kind of thing. I'm not suggesting that. But, um, but his experience in life is broadly familiar, right, to mm-hmm. a lot of people who believe as firmly as he does and make the church as central a part of their lives as he does. Um, and you know, the particular details vary, but the, but the basic issues remain, uh, very much the same. 
So, um, so why does this happen? Well, it happens because of this asymmetric relationship that exists between the laity mm-hmm. and the clergy, um, a relationship that's made possible precisely because of the way those laities, those, those laities see themselves in relation to the clergy, right? Mm-hmm. And in, uh, you know, the, the way the, and part of this is not something we can change. Uh, and this is part of the problem, right? It's yeah. part of it isn't something that we can really change. In the constitution of the church as Christ established it, there's an ordained ministry. Right. And they administer the sacraments. We can't just go and take the sacraments for ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, we, we need the ordained ministry to provide them. And they're given authority by Christ, right? They're, yeah. So some of this is non-negotiable. The question isn't whether there is such a structure. The question is how people will behave in the context of that structure. And, yeah. and that's where like a massive failure in virtue mm-hmm. Uh, is to blame for much of this and that's really what clericalism is describing i think within um because i i've seen it this way within like liberal catholics what a lot uh-huh. of times they they start to do is they start to bifurcate the church uh-huh. you have the institutional church you have the sacramental church you have uh, uh and then the real church the people of god like they they start to divide all of these uh, all, all these churches as, as if they, as if you can draw a line between the two. And like you said, you, you can't. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, some of this, you know, or, or what, what is, and I think that's one of the, like the faithful Catholics issues is we understand this. We can't simply yeah. say, well, I'm just going to reject the institutional church. Uh, I'm going to stay with the sacramental church, you know, and I mean, just start, you know, we need to, I mean, I remember hearing a presentation once by some uh, liberal dude who was saying, you know, we just need to deinstitutionalize the church. And yeah, that's going to begin can't. with women's ordination. There's no universe in yeah. which that's a, a Catholic ecclesiology. Right. You know, and as if that, as if we can hang on to the church as such and do that. Like the, 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 you can't, you can't start dividing the church in that, in that way. And I think it, I think it can sometimes be, a, a, you know, some, some mental gymnastics we try to play in our head of trying to either uh, justify our, our position with the church or how can I remain faithful, but unfaithful, you know, mm-hmm. uh, y- you, you find themselves, but, but I think for the, uh, for the faithful Catholic, this, this, this is really uh, one of the difficult things to, to wrap your head around, right, is, is that, it, the, that the church is one, but the church has this visible sign of unity, which is made up of a, of a bunch of fallen dudes. Yeah. So, so let me address that issue, because I, I think this sure. is actually pretty important um, theologically, right? What's really at issue in the need for the church for salvation, Mm -hmm. Um, leaving aside the mechanics, right, of the fact that Christ entrusted the sacraments to the ordained ministry. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not significant. It is, but 
but I, I want to under, I want to try to understand why Christ might've done that. Yeah. Given that he had, you know, I mean, obviously he could do whatever he wants, right? He got all kinds of options in front of him, but this is the one he chose. Why? Well, I think that you can see it in the nature of the problem we start with, mm-hmm. right? The nature of the problem we start with is the fact that human beings are divided. Mm. We're divided from God. We're divided from ourselves, right? Fractured within morally. St. Paul describes a a war mm. within his members, right? The good that I yeah. would do, I do not do. The evil I would avoid, I do that instead, right? I'm at war with myself. Um, all human beings experience that, right? Sure. And uh, so we're divided, right, from God against whom we sin, right? God uh, with whom we're not in a relationship uh, at the time of our, at the time we come into existence. Uh, we're divided from ourselves. We're divided from one another, right? The man mm-hmm. and the woman in the garden after sin um, put fig leaves on themselves. They turn away from each other, right? They they hide among the trees and they point fingers of blame. There's, a, there's an asymmetric relationship now, right? Your desire will be for your husband, but he will dominate you. Yeah. So um, this is, we're divided from one another, right? Uh, war and so forth uh, and we're divided even from the um, the cosmic order right from mm-hmm. from the way god just intended creation to be sort of ordered and stabilized um thorns and thorns and and thistles will it yield right mm-hmm. um animals like attack us instead of obey us so and we get diseases and we die, right? So this is kind of our problem. It's division. It's mm-hmm. alienation. It's that where originally God made Adam, one flesh, a kind of singular organism, mm-hmm. now in sin, we're divided and we, we become sort of um, mere individuals, mm. which is not the way God really intends us to exist. So the church draws us back together again. It brings us back into that sort of organismic oneness, mm-hmm. the body of Christ. All right. St. Paul says we grow, it, we grow into Christ, into the perfect man, right? The Andra Telion. Uh, so um, the this is the problem that needs to be solved, and that's the reason the church is necessary for salvation mm-hmm. church is that problem being overcome concretely does that make sense yeah 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 and, and that's why we say outside the church you know there is no salvation right um and we could say that rightly and truly how you know and 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 i think the the when the the experience i'll say this you know the experience of you know um those who who've had similar experiences like skojek you know is we have this understanding of the church outside the church there is no salvation the church is holy and we really hold up that mark of the church Mm -hmm. the church is holy however this 
thing, this article of my belief, right, uh-huh. is also in this instance a cause of abuse. Yeah, the church is a holy thing, yeah, constantly subjected to desecration at the hands of those who are put in a position to care for it. Yeah, uh, that's and and by that I don't just mean the clergy; I also mean the laity. Yeah, um, but but this is the reality, right? That every time we every time we turn the church into this sort of system of strife or um, or manipulation or something, right? Or or advantage, mm-hmm. uh, we we abuse it. We abuse the church. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, again, one of the things that Dreer and Skojak kind of, you know, went through was this, um, were these issues of abuse, again, they having right belief, right? Um, So, you know, in this case, you know, I I think one of the things that, you know, the Catholic needs to understand, um, you know, is that, you know, there, there isn't going to be this place in the 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 church militant where where we're going to be free of sin where we're going to be free of of all of these things is it possible yeah with god's grace you know anything's possible um but that doesn't mean um that we need to be necessarily again i guess ideological in our you know and i don't mean that by by saying faithful or orthodox or having you know right belief in that way but i mean ideological and and thinking that you know traditional liturgy or something like that equals um kind of um this perfection of of community or something like that you know yeah we know Um, in fact we know objectively that's false yeah because even if you look at the, the the sexual abuse things right some of that stuff happened uh while while the old liturgy was still was still being celebrated, right? I mean, sure. that was so some of that, some of it was pre-Vatican too. Yeah, and it happened under John Paul II, Pope Benedict, right? Who we we all hold in very high regard uh, because of their teaching and, and fidelity and things like that. So, I mean, it's a very difficult thing to to wrestle with. Um, you know, now now what's you know for for somebody like Skojek, right? You know, he even brings this up, uh, talks about you know just one of the kind of crippling aspects is there's not much recourse, right? There's yeah, no mechanism. Yeah. There's no real mechanism to, to try to solve um, uh, an issue like this between a lay person and a cleric, you know? So I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts? What, what's a lay, what are the laities supposed to do or what, what, how do we approach this issue? Maybe. Yeah. Well, the problem is we don't have a re- we don't have recourse. We have canon law. Yeah. And in canon law, certain rights are stipulated even for the laity. Um, under canon law, the clergy can't just do whatever the heck they want to the right. laity, right? But canon law is only as useful a tool as its enforcement, mm-hmm. and the very people responsible for enforcing it are often the people against whom you might have a gripe, right? Yeah. So um, in practice, canon law usually doesn't actually work very well for uh, as a means of redress when 
when the laity have been um, have been wronged by the clergy. Mm-hmm. That's just a practical fact. Um, you know, if 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 you if the person in charge just is like, yeah, I prefer not to. I'm just going to leave that alone. Well, there's yeah. nobody who could make him not leave it alone, right? Yeah. Um, so. So, so practically speaking, that really does mean that there isn't much room for redress. There's nothing, there's no mechanism that you could rely on mm-hmm. consistently to sort of deal with these problems when they arise. And I'm not talking about illegal activity where, uh, you know, you could call the police, which sure, sure. I, I guess, you know, I, I, I guess in some cases, right, would be, would be appropriate, but 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 the kind of things that Skojic is talking about um, aren't those kinds of things, right? Right. Now, one thing that's been suggested by some in the past, and I'm I'm just throwing this on the table. I'm not endorsing it. Yeah. But but one thing that's been suggested by uh, some is that look, the one thing laity have that the clergy need from them is. Um, is money Mm. right the one thing they have is that the church's source of income is actually the laity yeah and they could just not give or they could send their money only to those places right where the church is being the church in a constructive way um i i get that i understand why you would suggest um yeah doing that i mean you know again the situation here is what recourse do the laity have to make things better for them uh that's what drives that attitude yeah and and again this you know uh two things with that you know but then we have the strong precept of the church right to provide for the 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 material needs of the church right that's a that's a precept but you could say well but you could say this you could say well but but if the church is squandering money on things that I don't believe in. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then, then maybe the church doesn't really need this money. And so I'm, I'm not denying them uh, what they need. Yeah. Right. A person a could, could hold that attitude. Yeah. The, the, the second thing that I think, again, talking about canon law is, you know, again, historically, what makes all this even more interesting is you, you we just had the Pope make change uh, to canon law. And and from, from what I've read a little bit online, it's probably one of the most uh, um, serious changes, you know, in decades uh, with regards to uh, with regards to recourse and penalty uh, to, to clergy who, uh, uh, who have, who are found um, um, to be guilty of abuse. Yeah. It's pretty Um, good on paper. Yeah. Um, but again, like you said, the enforcement of it. But, you know, yeah. I think that's one thing that, again, we don't have a mechanism yet, but mm-hmm. it seems that I think what what he, what may have been given to the church just recently with regards to this, it may lead to a mechanism. I, I don't know if that's that might the case, be true. But- I think I think that might be true. Um, the way I see it is. It's funny, there, there are basically two phrases that occur in um, between Skojek and Marx. 
in their respective writings here, right? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is these are two dudes on the opposite side of the <laughs> of the Catholic spectrum, right? Sure. Um, Skorjak talks about being at the end of his rope. I, I think he uses that phrase. If mm-hmm. if he doesn't use it explicitly, his description, right, is what we say. Yeah. Uh, and um, and Marx uses the phrase a dead end, mm-hmm. right? He says that we've reached a dead end. So here you've got an interesting sort of concurrence of, of mindset yeah. between the two. And I, I think on the one hand, you've got, you've got the end of the rope, right, on Skojek's uh, personal experience. And then in Marx, he's got this overall assessment of things saying that we're at the end of the road. And, and I... I think to myself, you know, that this kind of thing has happened before in history where you've reached the end of a road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you remember when the Israelites were fleeing the, um, the Hebrew people are fleeing the Egyptians, right? Mm-hmm. And they come up against the Dead Sea that they're, they're at the end of the road. They've yeah. gone as far as they could go, right? There's, it seems they're stuck. And yet, when when they least expected it and in the way they least anticipated the holy spirit moved and opened a path forward yeah um in a way they couldn't imagine right and i i think that maybe we can be hopeful and think that this is where this is where we are right now that at some point in the not so distant future the red sea will part and the path forward will become apparent to us. But I think we're denying something uh, real if we say that the church is not experiencing a crisis at the moment. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And that's a, I think that's a, a good place to leave it, to, to go back to scripture and go back to the, the history of the church and the history of, of God interacting with his people uh, for their salvation. Um, that sometimes, you know, uh, his ways are going to be way beyond, or probably most of the time, are going to be beyond our understanding at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy for us to go back and read the parting of the Red Sea and be like, yeah, that was great. All they had to do was trust God, right? But the, I wasn't the one standing at the at, at the banks of the Red Sea with an Egyptian army closing in on me and, and looking around and seeing no way out, right? Mm-hmm. Um so it's easy to read, but it's difficult to put yourself in that position, uh, you know, but, you know, I, I, this is, you know, a test of faith, right? You said, uh, you know, I think wherever there's a crisis of faith, there's also a test of faith and a place for us to, to trust in God even more um, beyond our own understanding and, and any of that. So, uh, Dr. Kelly, thank you for your thoughts on this. I, I hope, you know, our, our listeners, um, again, you know, we don't want to get I think it's sometimes, you know, spiritually unhealthy to really get caught up in, in a lot of the church politics and things like that. But at the same time, it's important for us to, to think through these things because they are serious issues. They are um, uh, important things to think about. And they're, and a lot of times these are going to be things that our friends bring up, right? Our friends mm-hmm. aren't going to ask us, why does the church feed the poor? The church is going to ask us, or the people are going to ask us, why does the church do this or that? 
Uh, so it's important for us to, to think through these things and to, to, you know, uh, take them serious. Right. Uh, and most importantly, I think in all of this, uh, going back to what we, what Dr. Buzakelli said on about, um, you know, the, the Israelites is, you know, the, the trust in God, the, the, the prayerful attitude that we can have, the, the prayers that we can offer up to God, the sacrifices we can make. And, you know, as our lady says, you know, make reparations. Right. So, um, uh, I hope all of our listeners have found this to be, um, somewhat enlightening, somewhat challenging. Um, and, uh, I want to invite all our listeners to, uh, check out Catholic Studies Academy over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Check out all of our content over there. In the meantime, God bless.